world, if you believe Jesus is still Lord of all, would you lift up a shout of praise to our King, to our Jesus who is above all? In Psalm chapter 121, verse 1, it says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Come on. It is it is not anything of this world that we look to for help. I, I remember I remember in elementary school when anybody would pick on me, I'd go to my older brother and I would ask my older brother for help. And, and, and I, I remember when I would fall down as a kid, I'd, I'd run straight to my mom and, and ask my mom for help. Nowadays, I just run to my wife for absolutely everything. <laughs> but how many know that that what this world, the help that this world has to offer, at some point in time, it'll run short, it will fall short, and it'll run out. But us as believers and the people of God, where do we look? We just lift our eyes above all the circumstances and all the problems and all the issues and everything going on. We lift our eyes to the Lord, for that's where our help comes from, whatever you're going through, whatever's going on in your life. And I just uh, encourage you, this morning. This isn't just an opportunity to meet and sing some songs and, and hear a message. This is an opportunity to take our eyes off of the things of this world, lift them onto the Lord where they belong. Amen. Right now, if you're comfortable, would you just lift your hands right now in the presence of God? It's your sign of saying, God, I'm putting my eyes on you, Lord. So many things going on in our world. It's a room this size. There's so many situations and and right now we pause and we take our eyes off of the issues, the problems, and the struggles, and the hardship, the trials, the tribulations. We lift our eyes above all of those things. And we put our eyes on you and fix on you the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Because you, God, you are still on the throne. You are still above all. Nothing compares to you. You are the risen, victorious Savior and Messiah. Not even death can defeat you. What is my problem and my issue and my struggle in comparison? So God, in this moment, we lift our eyes to you. Not a weakling God, but a strong and a mighty God. The lion to the tribe of Judah. Our Savior, our Messiah, Jesus. And we believe right here and right now, you are intervening. You are showing up. You are not complacent and you are not distant. You are not far off. You are right here with us. And in that attitude right now, we just worship you and praise you and give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, everybody said, come on, everybody said, come on, worship him one more time, church. Amen. Come on, has God been faithful to anybody else? Even in the most difficult of times, like this song says, I can look over my shoulder 
into all the ways that God has been faithful to me. He's such a faithful God. I'm so excited to be in church with you today. There's nothing like worshiping with you. I get a little excited because there's nothing like gathering with your church family and worshiping God together. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're super excited for this morning. We have a great morning planned for you. Hey, right now, if if you have kids, first off, who loves our bridge kids? Come on. I love seeing bridge kids, bridge youth in the auditorium with us hanging out. But hey, if you uh, made plans to join for worship and head to the family room, you can totally do that right now. If you want to take your family over there, if you want to stay, hang out in here, that's totally cool too. We love that you're here and you're hanging out with us. We got an awesome, awesome morning plan. But hey, uh, don't shake any hands or give any high fives or anything like that. But look around, say hi to somebody, welcome them, and then find your seat as we watch church news together. everybody and welcome to the bridge church whether you're watching online or in the room we're so glad that you're joining us this sunday morning there's always a lot happening and we want to keep you informed so here's a look at church news we're excited to announce the relaunch of connect groups online this fall at the bridge because in-person groups are limited we are working hard to help you stay connected with your church family throughout the fall season you might be wondering can i really make deep connections and new friendships through online groups well we would love to meet with you and tell you that you can help people grow in their walk with god and build deeper friendships through online groups If you are interested in leading a group, we invite you to join us for a new Connect Group Leaders meeting. It's happening Sunday, September 20th at 11 a.m. And you can join us online or in person here at the church. If you'd like to come, just sign up on our website or the Bridge Church app. The new groups will be launching in October, and we would love for you to consider leading one of them. We hope you'll sign up and come to our new leaders meeting on Sunday, September 20th. Hey Bridge family, we hope you're having an amazing Sunday and I wanted to give you some information about our youth ministry. Every other week we've been alternating between online and outdoor services. And this Wednesday we're going to be having our outdoor service that consists of a DJ, games, giveaways, worship, a message, and a whole lot of fun so that way your students can have fun with us as a Bridge community. We hope that you guys have an amazing Sunday, and for any updates, follow us on our Instagram at bridgeyth underscore, where you can get any information for the weeks upcoming. We love you guys, and have an amazing Sunday. Our community care program has continued to be a blessing to our community throughout the summer months. As the demand has increased, we have had the opportunity to help people in need of food assistance, and that is because of your faithful generosity. Thank you, church family for continuing to support our local outreach efforts and making a difference in people's lives. On average, you are touching 75 to 95 families every weekend. And if you or anyone you know of is in need of food, distribution happens every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the back of our church building. We are grateful for the opportunity to be a blessing to you and others throughout the Temecula Valley. If you're new to the bridge, we want to help you get plugged in. Just go to our website and click on the Connect tab. 
There you can fill out a connect card and we would be happy to help you get connected. You can also download the Bridge app by texting keywords the Bridge Church app to 77977. Thanks again for joining us today and let's get into God's Word. everybody everybody hear me all right everybody here <laughs> it's good to see you guys this morning welcome to church it's good to be in the room I cannot tell you how good it feels to stand right here and there be people in this auditorium to preach to so thank you so much for being here if you're joining us online we are so glad that you're online with us today thank you so much for taking the time to tune in or be here in the room it's going to be a great day on top of that can I just say really quick This is our third Sunday being live and in person right here indoors. During the 930 service, and I just want to take a moment to just commend you and compliment you. Thank you, church family, for making a place that is comfortable. Thank you so much for being compassionate and considerate. Thank you that this is a church of peace and of unity, that when people come in, we are considering one another. I'm so grateful for that because there has been a great spirit of unity here at the Bridge Church over these last three Sundays. And I just want to commend you and say thank you so much. So give yourselves a hand real quick. Because there's nothing like being together in the house of God. And we're glad if you're joining us online that you are here as well. Before we get into God's word today, I want to take a moment. I just want to talk to you about one quick thing. Pastor Nick in Church News talked about the relaunch of our fall connect groups that's coming up next month in October. There is a meeting that's happening for new leaders and existing leaders next Sunday, the 20th of September. And I just want to take a moment to encourage you around this. And here's why. Because over these last, woo, I got louder, didn't I? Over these last few months, we've all gotten used to the terms social distancing and physical distancing. Whether we like those terms or not, we've heard them, we've become numb to them. But I think one of the sad things that's happening, especially in the body of Christ, is that we are experiencing relational distancing in many people's lives. And our connect groups exist so that people can continue to grow in their relationships with one another and with God. And if you are here today and you see that need, you see what's going on around you, maybe you feel disconnected or you see that need and you have a heart to meet it, I really want to encourage you to consider leading and facilitating a connect group this fall. And here's the thing. You don't have to know how to preach the word of God. You don't have to become a Bible teacher. You don't have to be an expert on discipling new believers or other Christians. All you need to have is a heart, a compassionate heart, to help people grow and stay connected in their walk with God. And I really want to encourage every single person that calls the Bridge Church home, whether you're here this morning or you're watching online, to consider this. And we've had a lot of people ask, are they going to be online groups only? Are there going to be live in-person groups that meet in homes or in public places? We're going to answer all of those questions for you at our meeting next week on the 20th that Pastor Nick is going to be leading. And I just want to take a moment again to encourage you, consider doing this, because if you see the need, you know there's a need. And there are a lot of people that it's not that hard to help meet that need, to keep people connected in the church of Jesus Christ. And we're going to put as many tools as we possibly can in your hands to help you facilitate these groups, lead these groups. We're going to be gathering people together to stay on the same page this fall and be united relationally as a church family. So I really just want to do my best to bring this home and encourage everybody to consider leading or facilitating a group this fall here at the bridge, because these are great ways to stay connected and grow together in Jesus, all right? So let's get into God's word this morning. If you've got your Bible, would you meet me in 2 Peter chapter 1? It's way back toward the end of your Bible. There's 1 and 2 Peter, 1, 2, 3, John, Jude, and Revelation. 2 Peter chapter 1. 
And I want to bring you a very simple message called All Things. Pretty short title, right? Two words, All Things. That phrase, All Things, is only two words, but man, it is at a mouthful. Because it's an all-inclusive, all-encompassing phrase. And if you actually look at this in the original Greek, the, the phrase all things comes from one Greek word, and the word is pas, P-A-S. And it means that which is all-inclusive, all-encompassing, everything or all things. One word in the Greek, pas. And I want to talk to you about a few different passages of Scripture that mention this phrase, all things. It's actually a phrase that pops up 170 times in the Bible. I only want to look at three passages of Scripture. Don't worry, we're not going to look at 170 this morning. But it's a very important passage when we understand it in its proper context and all the places that it's used in Scripture. Before we go to Scripture, let me just tell you a story real quick. When I was a kid, uh, I've told friends and family members this before, and I've actually given my own mom a hard time about this. Mom, you'll know this. But I've given my own mom a hard time about this because when I was a kid, Saturday was my least favorite day of the week because it was the day that we did chores. And so I always wanted to stay the night at a friend's house or something on Friday night. And when I was growing up, I would look at that list of chores, and I would think, this is a long, tedious, tiresome, difficult list. In reality, it wasn't so bad. But I would think, man, I don't want to do these things. I want to go out and play. I want to go somewhere. I want to have fun. I don't want to do work. I don't want to do chores around the house. And while I thought that the list was long, it really wasn't that difficult. Instead, my wonderful mother was instilling some wonderful principles into my life. All the moms said, oh, come on, mom, speak up. All the moms said, (laughs) you'll get your revenge in a moment, okay? But here's the thing. When I was young, my mom would give me the list and she would write down what what it is that she wanted me to do. She would even put on there the tools that I needed to accomplish that task and where I could find those things. If I needed to mow the lawn, the lawnmower's in the garage. When I'm done mowing the lawn, I need to make sure to grab the broom so that I can sweep up all of the grass and the excess stuff that's left laying around. And when I've checked that thing off the list, I can move on to the next thing. And in order to accomplish the next thing, there was a list of things that I might need to accomplish that task. And she told me exactly where it was. She would give me everything all the things that I needed to accomplish that task. But guess what? I would get impatient. I would want to do other things. I would be upset. I would complain. I would gripe. And sometimes, or most of the time, probably wouldn't get those things done as quickly as I should have. And she would come back to me later and say, how come you didn't get these things done? You could have been done now. She would look at me and say, I gave you all of the things that you needed to complete the task and be successful. You could have been done a long time ago, but instead you chose to complain. You chose to be impatient. And here we are. You still haven't done these things. All right, moms. All right, grandmas. Here's where the revenge comes in because now I have kids. Now, they're not quite old enough or big enough yet to really, you know, go through a list of chores But let me just give you one really great example, because we ask our kids to clean up after themselves, to clean up their rooms all the time, right? But my son, he's almost four, got a mind of his own, as people do, as it turns out, has a mind of his own, and at nighttime, when it's time for him to take a bath, the rules are quite simple. Take a bath, we will help you get washed up, you get out, you dry off. We have given you everything you need. We set out your pull-up. We set out your jammies. Your bed has been made. We've pulled back the covers so that you can slide right in and lay your head down on the pillow. And so he will be sent to his room to accomplish those things while we go downstairs to finish doing the dishes or something else. And you come back 15 minutes later, and he's still sitting on the floor with no clothes on, and suddenly we don't know where the jammies or the pull-up are, and the bed's all messed up. (laughs) Parents, grandparents, you know how this goes. They've gotten their revenge, Mom. But here's the thing. 
My son, I gave him everything, all things that he needed to accomplish the task, but he has a mind of his own. His mind wanders. His imagination wanders. He starts thinking about other things and getting preoccupied by other things. And even though I gave him everything that he needed to accomplish the task that was in front of him, he still didn't get it done. I sometimes wonder if our Father in Heaven looks down and says, I've given you everything you need to do everything I've called you to do, but for some reason you still can't get it done. Now don't worry, this is a word of encouragement today, not a, worry of, a word of discouragement, because we're here to be built up in the Word of God, amen? So let's, let's listen to what the Word of God has to say about this, and I'm going to point to three passages of Scripture that talk about all the things that God has made available to us. Look at Second Peter 1, starting in verse 1. Peter writes and says, Simon Peter, identifying himself as the writer, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained, listen, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Why are we all here today? Because we have all obtained like or similar precious faith. With us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now watch verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How many people would lift a hand real quick and, see, and say, I want to see God multiply grace and peace in my life? Come on, put them up real high. Hey, me too. I want to see God multiply grace and peace, especially in this season of life, to me. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Very important phrase, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us, say it with me, all things, say it again, all things, that pertain to life and godliness. Another two important words, that it pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. There's that phrase again, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now there's a lot in that passage of scripture, and it was really cool because I felt like God did kind of a work inside of me this week. I was going to preach on this passage alone and not go anywhere else. And I felt like God said, put that on the shelf and come back to all that later. Because I really want to tune in to the all things portion of these passages, okay? Now, what is so interesting about this to me is that Peter is saying here, God has given us all things. He's given us everything that we need that pertain to life and godliness. If we want to have God's life, God kind of life at work and be experiencing that in all areas of our life, God's given us everything that we need. And he's also giving us all things or everything that we need that pertains to godliness. I want to break these two words down for just a moment. We're going to spend more time in this passage than in the other two that we're going to look at today. But these are very, very important words. We, we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, real quick, here's something that you need to know, and if you are kind of a Bible nerd, you're going to love this stuff. If you're not, this is going to pull you in a little bit, because this is really, really cool. The Bible is amazing. The stuff that is in Scripture, I didn't make this up. This is amazing what's in the Bible. If you look at this word life here in Peter's text, it's the word zoe, meaning the God kind of life. There are three different Greek words that we see throughout the New Testament that are translated into the word life. Now listen, the three words are these, bios, suke, and zoe. Bios is a word translated from the Greek to English from which we get our phrase biology or our term biology. The second word for life, suke, is the word from which we get our English word psychology or psyche. 
So what God is saying here, in th- or what the Word of God is telling us, is that there's three different words that are used to describe life that pertain to us. For a lot of us, we limit our experience with God to our bios life, the things that we can touch, taste, smell, see, and hear, the things that our senses can measure. We will limit our life with God to that which, which is tangibly measurable, the bios life or the biological life. But then there's the suke life or the psychological life. A lot of us will limit our walk and our relationship with God to the way that we perceive things psychologically in the world around us. We will take the word of God and we will filter it through what we think rather than filtering what we think through the word of God. But, Paul, but Peter doesn't use either one of those words here in this passage. He uses the word zoe, which is the God kind of life. It's not a biological thing that we can measure tangibly. It's not a psychological thing that we perceive with our mind. It's a whole other level of existence. And what he's saying here is that everything we need to, to walk in the God kind of life is available to us. What is the God kind of life? It's an abundant life. It's a life of provision. It's a life of wisdom. It's a life of God's favor that supersedes the biological things that we can measure tangibly and the psychological things that we can conjure up in our mind. Now, this is fascinating that he writes this because, man, it hits me at home right now to recognize that sometimes I limit God according to the biological things that I can see with my senses, and I limit God according to the psychological way that I think and the things that I perceive in my mind. Big lesson that we have to learn as Christians is that God in his Zoe life wants to supersede or go way beyond what we can touch, smell, see, and hear, and what we can perceive with our minds. God is a whole lot more than that. And he's given us access to it. And Peter says he's given us all things that pertain to the Zoe life and godliness. Now the word, the Greek word for godliness here is the word eusebia. It gets translated 15 times in the New Testament. 14, it's translated into godliness. And the 15th time, it's translated into holiness. So in other words, God has given us everything we need to live his Zoe life and walk in holiness or godliness, which is Christ-like or God-like nature and character. So let me just ask you a question right now. How many of you want to walk not just in your biological life or your psychological life, but you want to walk in God's Zoe life that supersedes all of those things? Well, guess what? God's given us all things that we need in order to achieve that and to experience that and to accomplish that. But he's also given us everything we need to walk in godliness and holiness or Christ-like, God-like character. And i got to be honest with you, what I, re- what I recognize here is that I grow in my relationship with God. God doesn't want to just be growing me on the inside. He wants to be growing my character and my nature so that the world around me sees it as a testimony of the goodness of God in and through my life. Does anybody else want that in their life? God's made it available to us is what Peter says. He's given us all things that pertain to life, Zoe life, and Eusebia, godliness. So the question is, if he's given it to us, how... Do we access them? Look one more time at what he says in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the what? The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. If you go down and look at this later on in verse 3, as his divine power has given all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. So knowledge, that sounds like book knowledge, right? Like if I go to school, I can learn how to be like God. Well, not exactly, because what this is talking about is a different kind of knowledge. Again, go to the Greek real fast, the original manuscript. If you look at what this originally means in the original writings, the word knowledge here comes from the Greek word gnosko or gnosis. 
But this word here that we see, it's not just that primary or that root word gnosis. It's the, it's the word epinosis or epigenosco. And what that means is a higher or correct or precise knowledge. How many know that the standard of truth that we need to align our lives with is the standard of God's truth that is found only in his word? So in other words, we can access the nature of God, we can access the life of God through his word. But here's what's so interesting. That word knowledge, epigenosco, we have to recognize that God's word, God's wisdom, and God's life is a whole higher way of thinking. It's truth, it's accurate, it's correct, and it's precise. And we will never step into the life that God has for us if we don't first come to the recognition that God's ways, God's thoughts, God's thoughts are higher than ours. We have to recognize that. And that's exactly what Peter's talking about here. It's a recognition that there is a knowledge that supersedes what I know, and it's only found in God's word and in God's ways and through a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you a story really quick that will illustrate this well. I heard a really interesting story this week, and I've told it to a couple of people, but um, back in 1989, after President George H.W. Bush had taken office as the president of our nation, he was in a meeting with Mikhail Gorbachev, who was the leader of the Soviet Union. And they were having a conversation after the meeting where Mr. Gorbachev asked President Bush, he said, can you explain to me American capitalism? Now, let me just tell you, this is not a political thing. This is just me telling you an illustration, okay? Everybody take a deep breath. He's not going to get political, don't worry. But George H.W. Bush was having this conversation with Mikhail Gorbachev, and he said, explain American capitalism to me in the way that markets work. And so President Bush tried to explain it to him and talked about free markets and how they work and how they work in our society and how they brought prosperity. And at the end of his, of his uh, ex- explanation, Mikhail Gorbachev spoke up and said, well, let me tell you why capitalism will never work in Russia. And he says, okay, tell me. He says, because suppose you have two farmers, and one farmer is poor, but his neighbor, the farmer next door, is rich. And one farmer has a small farm, but his neighbor has a big farm. And then the neighbor that lives here, he doesn't have a wife, but the, the neighbor next door that has the big farm and is doing well and is prospering and is rich, he has a beautiful wife. And everything seems to be going good for one farmer and bad for the other farmer. Well, let's just say that one day the, bad, the, the farmer that isn't doing so good is out in the field and he's digging into his, his soil and he finds a lantern. And he rubs the dirt off that lantern and a genie pops out and says, I will grant you one great wish. And he says, well, you know, I look at my neighbor and he has a bigger farm and he has a beautiful wife and he's rich. And he's successful. And he has all the things. And the genie says, oh, you want to be more like him? And he says, no, I want him to be more like me. Deep breath. The reason I tell you this story is because here's what a lot of us do with God. We look at God's ways. We look at God's truths. We look at God's words and we say, I don't feel like I could ever attain to that. So instead of allowing God's standard of knowledge and truth lift us up above where we are, we look to God and try to pull him down to where we are and lower our expectations in life. God has given us everything we need that pertain to life and godliness, but the way we access it is by recognizing that his ways, his knowledge is higher. There's an accurate, correct form of knowledge that's only found in his word and his ways and through a fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And we cannot settle for a Christianity that pulls God down to our level. Instead, we have to allow God to lift us up to his level because his ways are higher than ours. Everybody with me this morning? 
And so Peter writes this and he says it's epigenosco. It's a higher, precise, correct form of knowledge. And through this, through that relationship with God, that's how we access Zoe life, God kind of life, bigger than biological or psychological life. And we also access godliness and holiness where we are made more into the image of God. The knowledge of God lifts us up to a higher form of understanding in him. Don't settle for second-class Christianity where we pull God down to our level. Let's let God pull us up to his through a relationship with him and by being in his word. Let me just ask you a question. If God has given me everything I need to experience his Zoe life and grow in his character, but I'm not experiencing his life, is that on God or is that on me? That's kind of heavy because he's given us all things that we need that pertain to life and godliness. And if I'm not experiencing that in my life, is that on God or is that on me? Something to think about. We're going to come back and answer that here in just a little bit. Let's look at a second passage of scripture. This is one that most of you are going to know very well. Go with me to Philippians chapter 4. You already know where we're going. Philippians chapter 4. And before we read this passage... I want to just ask you to consider that maybe you've read this in a different light or context than the way that Paul was writing it. Philippians 4, look at verse 11. We'll start out there. Paul says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Everybody say content. We need to understand that when we look at this passage of Scripture, a lot of us know Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13 wins the award for Scripture that is printed most on Christian t-shirts. Right? Philippians 4.13 is the most quoted passage when you see your fitness friends on Instagram and they're climbing the mountain and they're strong believers. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I think that's cool. You know why? Because people are going and doing it and they're pursuing what God has for their life and they're trying to operate in God's strength. So even if the context is being stretched a little bit, I, I really admire the notion. But here's the thing. The entire context of Philippians 4.11-13 through 13, is not about Paul walking in supernatural, superhuman strength. The whole context is contentment. And we miss this all the time, and I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about here. He's talking about contentment here, starting in verse 11. He he says at the end of verse 11, For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now look at verse 12. I know how to be abased. That talks about being in lack or, or not having everything that I need. And I know how to... Abound, that's talking about having an abundance and having more than enough. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But look what he says in verse 13. I can do all things. Everybody say all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, let's just stop and talk about what Paul's really saying here. The whole context of these three verses is contentment, not superhuman strength. It's contentment. But what's fascinating about it is that we, again, as Christians, sometimes miss out on what he's saying here. He's talking about contentment, and he says, I've learned to be content whether I'm abounding or I'm in abasement. What's he, not a literal basement like underground. I'm being abased. I'm in lack if I don't have enough. I've found how, I've learned how to be content. Here's what's really cool about this to me. Contentment is somewhere in the middle of abounding and abased. 
Because what Paul is saying here is that my walk with God is not defined by the great days where I have an abundance, and it's not defined by the difficult days where I don't have enough. He says my walk with God is defined by contentment. Because guess what? We all know what it is to sometimes come up short. Right? Think about your own human strength, your own natural abilities. In and of ourselves, we all know what it's like to come up short. But Paul is saying, my godliness or my relationship with God isn't defined by the days that I come up short. I'm not going to allow that to define me. But in the same manner, I'm also not going to allow my walk with God to be defined by the days where I have more than enough. This is the reason why Paul wrote to Timothy and said, don't be deceived that when you are prospering, that that's the highest form of godliness. He said, no, godliness plus contentment is great gain. And Paul says right here, he says, I'm somewhere in the middle of my walk with God where I'm not defined by the days that I abound or the days I'm abased. I'm defined by contentment. Why? Because all of us, were human beings. Our strength will run out. There are times where I, and of myself, I'm not enough. He says, but the reason I'm content is because I have learned that in the middle of my weakness, when my strength comes to an end, that's where God's strength begins. I think there are so many people in this room that have testimonies, stories that you could tell until it's dark tonight of the times where your strength ran out, your supply ran out, and when you reached the end of your road and you were ready to give up, you held on and discovered that the end of your strength was the beginning of God's and he came through for you and he provided for your needs. There are so many of us who have stories like that. And what Paul says here is like, I'm not going to live a lower form of Christianity that's defined by my prosperity or my lack. I'm going to live in contentment because no matter if I have a lot or I have a little, I've found that God has everything I need for the things that he's called me to do. Everybody with me today? Now, the reason why I love this passage of scripture is because for those of us, you know, I believe the word prosperity, by the way, is all throughout scripture. And if you don't believe that God wants to prosper, you've missed something somewhere in scripture. Come on, somebody say amen to that. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that my walk with God is defined by prosperity. It's defined by contentment. Because it's not about my strength, it's about his. Now here's what's interesting about this. A lot of us, again, as Christians, one of the biggest mistakes that we make is that we mistake contentment for complacency. A lot of us look at contentment and say, well, that means that I must just, God want me to settle into whatever difficult season I'm going through and just accept that as the final outcome. No! God wants you to discover his strength when your strength comes to an end. And what I love about this is that when we actually get to verse 13, the first three words before he says all things and before he talks about Christ's strength, the first three words he says is, I can do. Everybody say this, I can do. Some of you, the best thing that you can do today is get a marker and write it on the mirror. Those three words, I can do. Because guess what? In your natural strength, you might not be able to do the thing that's in front of you. But if you'll hold on and find out where God's strength begins, you will discover that if you'll just put one foot in front of the other, you can do. And Paul says, I can do all things, not through my strength, but through Christ. What I love about this is it's the mixture of Paul's willingness to act, his willingness to work, his willingness to do, not just sit back on the couch and say, well, if it's God's will that it's going to happen, he'll just make it happen. He says, no, I can do all things, not in my strength. I've found the end of my strength. I've recognized the limitation of my strength. I can do all things in Christ's strength. I'll tell you a story about this real quick to help illustrate this because this is a great reminder that I have in my life. One of the times, I think probably the first time that I really learned this in my life, that when my strength ends is where God's strength kicks in. Uh, After my wife and I had gotten married, 
we could hardly pay our rent. We had two car payments. We were living in a one-bedroom apartment by the beach in Orange County. As it turns out, it was expensive. <laughs> and it was a lot less expensive then. But in hindsight, we couldn't afford to have two car payments. So I sold my car. And fortunately, I only worked about four miles away from our apartment. So I sold my car, and I bought a bike. That really messed with my pride. Because I liked my car. And it hurt to say, I can't afford this right now. And it hurt to say, I can't do this right now. And I'll tell you something even funnier was I was at that stage of my life was just getting my first opportunities to preach in our church and really like lead in our church then. And I would be driving, or not driving, riding, (laughs) pedaling my bike down Harbor Boulevard and see people from my church driving past me, honk, honk, hey, look, it's Zach. And that embarrassed me for a while. It's funny because Paul says, I know what it's like to abound, and I know what it's like to be abased. When it says abased there, the original writings, it literally means to be shamed. And some of us, our pride gets in the way of taking steps in faith I can do to discover God's strength in the midst of our weakness. And what was interesting about it was there was about a, <laughs> I get emotional thinking about it because it, it was a crazy time. But there was like a two-year period there where I rode my bike. I'd get wet in the rain when it rained. And then there was this lady in our church that said, hey, my husband, who was very sick, to this day is still battling difficulty and sickness in his body. She gave me his car and said, here, you can drive his car even though he's in the hospital. She had a world of challenges, and she said, here, take my husband's car. And God met that need for a season of our life. And there came a time where we were able to get another car, and we had a second car, and all was good. What's funny about it is a few months ago, we actually tried to sell that bike because I still have it. Nobody, nobody wanted to buy my bike. It's a cool beach cruiser, but what's funny is now I'm glad it didn't sell. Because every time that I go out in my garage and I see it, it reminds me that even if I find the end of myself, I can do. Some of us were not willing to sell the car and buy a bike. Some of us were not willing to get up off the couch and go find that job right now. Some of us were not willing to, I can do. I can do all things, not in my strength, in God's strength. But we have to, do, we have to be can-do people. And if we, if we get to this place where our theology says, well, if God's going to save me, then he's just going to have to make it happen. No, you need to learn how to be a can-do person and see God's strength meet you at the end of your road. And Paul says, I've learned contentment. That's not accepting my lack, but it's also not being defined by my prosperity. I am defined by who God says I am, and I can do all things through his strength because I've already discovered the end of mine. Everybody with me today? I got to move on to the next thing, but if, if I can do all things in God's strength, but yet I'm still living life in defeat and in loss, is that on God or is that on me? Just think about it. It's not a discouraging word. It's meant to encourage you to lift you up. Think about it. Because God wants to meet you right there where you're at. If I know that I can do all things through Christ's strength, but I'm still living in defeat and in loss, then the question is, is that on God or is that on me? Something to think about. Let's look at the third and final passage of Scripture real quick. Go to Romans 8. A lot of you know where we're going also. Romans 8, starting in verse 24. Now listen, Paul is talking here about the sufferings or the affliction, some of the persecution that he was facing in his time, and maybe something that you might face in your life. He says in verse 24, for we were saved in this hope. 
But hope that is seen is not hope. Think about the truth of that statement. Hope that is seen is not hope. Maybe use the word faith there instead of hope. Faith that is seen isn't faith. We believe for those things which we cannot see. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I love that word right there. We eagerly await for the things which we cannot see. We wait eagerly with perseverance. We persevere through the waiting. We persevere with patience. We wait even when it's hard. We expect that today's good or tomorrow's going to be the day. And if tomorrow's not the day, it's going to be the day after that. We persevere. We push through. We expect. We believe. We have hope and we have faith even if we can't see it just yet. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. Talking about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to help us. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This is talking about having fellowship and open relationship with God the Holy Spirit. And then finally, verse 28, and we know that all things, everybody say all things, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We all know that passage so well, but I love how it starts with Paul talking about, listen, hope and faith is, is fixing our eyes, fixing our, our hearts on something that we can't yet see. And in order to get to the place where we see God, through, God come through on his promises, it's going to take eagerness and it's going to take perseverance in order for us to push through. Because guess what? Sometimes I get impatient. Anybody else? I've said this so many times, but we all think patience is a great idea as long as it doesn't take very long to get it. And patience is something that we have to have, especially when we go through long seasons of waiting for God to come through on his promises. Man, my wife and I, we've learned this one in a big way lately. Because I let, you know, a lot of the circumstances of my life define some things in my life. And then God just out of the blue says, I got the answer, I got the path, it's right here. You've just had to wait for a little while. And I look back and say, man, could I have persevered a little bit better during that season? All things working together for good. The good things, the bad things, the terrible things, the things we have done right, the things we have done wrong. The good things that people have done for us, and the bad things that people have done to us. God can take all things, good things, bad things, and somehow... Take those two ingredients which don't go together and cook them up at just the right temperature in a way that only he can. And man, he can bake something beautiful in our lives. He takes all things, he makes all things, good things, bad things, work together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. I believe that hope plus perseverance equals confident expectation. I love that idea that God can make all these things work together for good. Can I tell you something? There are things that happen in our life where we have good intentions, so we believe that there's going to be a good outcome. And there are times in our life where our intentions aren't good and maybe sinful, and we make mistakes. We do the wrong thing. We do the bad thing. Or somebody does the wrong thing or the bad thing to us. And all of those things mixed together seem like they can only have a negative outcome because in my ability and in your ability, and if I'm the one that's cooking the meal, it ain't going to taste good at the end. But we know 
that God makes all things, good things and bad things, work together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. We all know that oil and water don't mix, right? There's paint or there's oil-based paint, there's water-based paint. I've learned that even more so recently. You can't put those two together and expect to get the right outcome. You can't take bad things and good things and put them together and expect to have a good outcome. But guess what? God has a way of taking the bad and the good, mixing it all together in such a way that only he can, and somehow out of it, there are good outcomes. And I love how Paul writes this. He says, and we know that God makes these things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So here's my question. If I know that God makes all things, the good things and the bad, work together for my good, but I'm only expecting negative outcomes, is that on God or is that on me? So God's given us all things that we need in order to achieve life, his Zoe life and godliness. We know that through his strength, we can do all things. And we know that he makes all things work together for good. Man, that last one, that's like this big pillowy cushion of grace that says, even if you do something wrong, even if there's a mistake or a misstep, I got you, I'm right there. I'm gonna make the good things and the bad things still work together for good. If we know that God does all of those things and he's given us everything we need, how can we still walk around in defeat? The reason why I wanted to preach this message today is because I just speak from my heart for a minute because I think most of you will identify with this. I think it's sad how many Christians have allowed the last six months to redefine their life. Because if God's given us everything we need, but yet I'm not experiencing all that God has promised me and made available to me, is that on God or is that on me? Last week, Pastor talked, or he didn't talk on it for long, but he touched on Exodus 17, this great battle with the Israelites and Moses is holding up the rod of God and his arms begin to get tired. And so he sees Aaron and Hur come alongside him and lift up his arms so that the rod of God is high above the battle. And as long as the rod of God is held high, Israel is winning the battle. Then they're victorious at the end. And Moses goes and he builds an altar of sacrifice and of worship. And he names it Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner. When I think about that, what I picture is the army of Israel fighting in the banner of Jehovah, the banner of their God, the God of Israel, our God, going before them. He's the flag that flies over them that makes them victorious. I think a lot of us have walked through this season these last six months, and we've allowed a different banner and flag to hang over our life. I'll never forget as soon as this season started when we thought we would just be online for a short time. I was sitting in a meeting with Pastor Ann and in the office one day, and we were talking about how we need to put a bunch of new information up on our website. We need to reformat some stuff, put some correct, new, accurate information up so that everybody knows what's going on here in the church. And I'm not saying this to be critical at all, but there was such a big trend in churches, in the commercial world, the business world, where if you go to somebody's website, the first thing you see is a banner across the website that says COVID update. We sat there and we talked about our website and we said, we are not going to allow COVID to be the banner that hangs over our church. There's a lot of Christians over the last six months that COVID is the banner that's flying over your life. That fear and anxiety and worry and depression and sickness and questions are the things that are the banner that are flying above your life. 
And I don't want to say this to be harsh or to be rude, but I'll be really honest. This season has been incredibly revealing about where a lot of people are in their faith. And if you're sitting at home right now or you're sitting in the room and you are just absolutely flooded with fear and worry and concern and all the things that are happening around you are affecting what's going on inside of you, I want to challenge you to look and see what banner or what flag is flying over your life today. Because there are some of us that we need to go home and we need to tear down the flag that's flying over our life right now. Let me tell you something. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. God has made everything that you need available to you. And if the day comes that we are not walking in everything he has for us, it's not on God. It's on us. And if I know I'm responsible for it, I'm accountable for it, and I have to act upon it. And you know what? I'm going to stand before God and answer for what flag and what banner is flying over my life. And a lot of us need to take a good hard look in the mirror and ask the question, what flag is flying over my life during this season? Because did somebody sneak into your yard in the middle of the night and tear down the banner of Jehovah Nisi and put up the banner of fear? Did you allow that to happen? It's heavy, I know, but I'm responsible. I'm accountable for the decision that I make. Whose flag, whose banner is flying over my life? What flag, what banner is flying over yours? Listen, I'm not saying this to discourage you. I'm saying this to encourage you because God has more. He's given us all things that pertain to life, his life, and his godliness, his character, his nature. And if he's made all of those things available to us, if we can do all things through his strength after we found the end of ours, if he makes all things work together for good, the good things and the bad things, but none of that stuff is happening in my life, is that on God or is that on me? I just want to ask you a question. What banner, what flag is flying over your life? Maybe the thing we need to do today is rip down that other banner and put the banner, fly high the banner of Jehovah Nisi, the God who flies over us, his banner that gives us victory. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen to that. Amen. All right, I'm out of time. I'm out of time. Bow your heads. Father, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us. That you take us to a higher, correct, precise place of knowledge of who you are, what you've called us to, and everything that you've given us. God, we want to walk in your authority and in your victory. So today we make that choice. We tear down the banner of defeat. We tear down the banner of fear. We tear down the banner of anxiety or depression or loss or sickness or whatever it is that is flying over our life that's making us feel like we cannot win this fight. And we step into your light and we ask that you would shine upon us. We ask that you would encourage us, that you would give us your strength if we found the end of ours, that you would make the good things and the bad things in our life work together for good and that we would live victorious, overcoming lives because we can do all the things you've called us to, not because of our strength, but because of yours. God, encourage us. This is not a discouraging word today, God, but a word of encouragement that we would take a good, hard look at who you've called us to be and what our life might look like right now. And we would respond accordingly in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed just for one more moment, I just want to take a minute to talk to anybody who's here today that maybe you've never made a decision to surrender the lordship of your life, the command of your life over to Jesus. God tells us that he's the one who who gave us life. We see that all throughout scripture. But the thing that has separated us from God is our sin, our mistakes, our imperfection. 
But God in his love and his mercy and his grace made a way for us to come back into relationship with him when he sent Jesus to this earth, the sinless, spotless son of God, lamb of God, to take our place on a cross and die for the sin that we committed so that we could be reunited with him. After Jesus died for our sins, God did not stop there because three days later he raised Jesus from the dead, conquering death and hell and the grave so that you and I would not have to face it. And he simply asked that we would put our faith, our hope, our trust in him, surrender lordship of our lives to him, and follow him every day of our life. Today, if you'd like to walk into a relationship with God, I would love to help lead you into it. It just starts with a simple prayer and then a commitment from you inside in your heart to surrender your life to Jesus. Starts by repeating a simple prayer, and I want to pray it with you right now. Would you say these words after me? Everybody in the building say, Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. I believe that you are the Son of God, and I believe you were raised back to life so that I could be given new life also. So today I choose you. I put my hope and my faith in you. I want to walk with you. I want to learn your ways. And I want to be victorious in this life and into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, we're so thrilled that you prayed that prayer today. We want to give you just a couple more instructions on what to do if you made a decision to commit your life to Christ. So let's put our hands together and welcome some people into God's family. Hey, can we just thank Pastor Zach for such a great message? I just have to say really quick, I, I love being in a church that encourages us, motivates us, and even challenges us in our faith. Amen. Hey, so if you just made that commitment, whether you're watching online or you're in the house, um, we want to say congratulations. It's the, it's the best decision you could ever make with your life. But right now, this isn't the end of the journey. It's the beginning of the journey. And we want to walk the next steps of this journey with you. So we put together something called the next seven days. And so uh, we want to get you this gift. It's free. Uh, if you're here in the house, you could get it in one of two ways. You can see our prayer teams on either side of the building after service. Or before you get to uh, the doors in the foyer, there's a counter set up right in the middle. The next seven days counter, you'll see the graphic above it. You can stop there and say, hey, I made a decision. Can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you. They could pray for you if you'd like. If you're watching online, uh, you can hit the tab right there, the connect tab. Let us know you made that decision and, and we'll get you the next seven days. If you get lost, you can't find it, go to any of our social media platforms. Just message us the words next seven and we'll get you the next seven days. Hey, one more time, church. Can we welcome people into God's family? Absolutely awesome. Hey, so today, uh, like the last couple weeks, just for um, uh, just to be at the, the utmost of, of security and safety and make sure everyone's comfortable, we're not going to be passing around containers for giving. At the back of the auditorium, there are two giving stations that you can give at. Also over by kids, there's a drop box right there that you can give as well. Can I just say, you guys are absolutely amazing. And today you saw highlighted in uh, church news, we're providing for between 75 and 90 families a week. 
week in community care. And what a season for our church to be able to be a beacon of light and hope, not to point to ourselves, but to point back to our Savior. And none of that would be possible without people like you. And then also just globally around the world, I'm, um, this is very, very random, but I'm literally wearing a bracelet that I got in Africa three years ago when we as the bridge got to go and build a church in East Africa that is still there today and is an epicenter of resource in that community. And that all happens by people like you who are just so faithful and knowing, man, God is good and I'm going to be faithful in my giving to him. So thank you guys so much. Um, I want to remind you guys, hey, anybody who needs prayer today, we want to pray with you. Uh, we have our prayer teams in a little different of a location. So on either side of the lower part of the auditorium, our prayer teams will be there after service, ready to pray with anybody who needs prayer. They'll be wearing masks. We can social distance, all of that sort of stuff if we need to. If you're online and you would need prayer, you can click the link right there. You could just ask in the chat for prayer and someone will get with you. They will pray with you. Um, want to remind everybody as we're about to leave, I know it's a lot of random details, but as we're about to leave, um, there is more than just the foyer. You go out through the foyer, but you also go out uh, either side of the auditorium. All three exits are available. And I just do want to say Thank you guys so much for helping us with the guidelines. Here's the thing. We just want to make sure everyone feels safe and comfortable and confident. And I, for one, will literally jump through a fiery hoop if it means I can come and worship God in the house of God with my church family. Hey. Um, not only are we here live and in person right now, we'll be online at the 1130. And tonight, our outdoor service is back. It was a million degrees last week, so we couldn't meet last week. We would have went outside, lifted our hands, and maybe just burst into flames because it was that hot. It was so hot outside last week. But we're back tonight, and we're so stoked. And we hope that we get to see you, anybody online who maybe couldn't make it this morning. We hope to see you uh, outside tonight, 6 p.m. Have you enjoyed being in the house of God in church today? Hey, we love you so, so much, and we'll see you next week. God bless you.